If there's one singular thing that has changed with dating over the past generation, and no, it's not just that there are a lot more dudes whose first names rhyme with Aiden, it's got to be the role of technology in every facet of relationships. And long-distance relationships have become easier than ever before. But they can still be tricky. Today we're diving into long-distance relationships. We're going over specific ways to make them easier, to build a strong foundation, and to nourish them like any other relationship. And in fact, some of these tools are good for relationships in general. If you want to hear how to prioritize other people in your life and strengthen your bonds, you'll want to listen to today's Baggage Check. Welcome. I'm Dr. Andrea Bonnier, and this is Baggage Check, mental health talk and advice, with new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. Baggage Check is not a podcast about luggage or travel. Incidentally, it is also not a podcast about spiritual metaphors in the 1960s television show, My Mother the Car. Okay, let's get to it. I wanted to talk about long-distance relationships today. And the good news is, some research really shows that the quality of long-distance relationships does not necessarily differ significantly from the quality of geographically close relationships. The pandemic, just anecdotally, has seemed to loosen up people's ideas of whether or not they could coexist in different places. Even people in the same city might have felt long-distance during the throes of the pandemic. And I've helped so many clients over the years with long-distance relationships. But I also think that some of these tips really apply to how we think about prioritizing other people in our lives, how we think about how we spend our time and make people feel special and stay connected. But back to the technology for a moment. If you think about the ways of being able to stay connected, they are so different and so improved from just a couple of decades ago. FaceTime is so ubiquitous, or Skype, or Zoom. It's a world away from having to buy that long-distance calling card where you got maybe an $0.08 a minute rate way back in the day, where you had to ration your long-distance calls like precious jewels. Gone are the days of having to wait for the postal mail to see whether or not your far-flung love had written you in the past two weeks as romantic as some of those stories are. I mean, honestly, we're far removed at this point from the days of having to settle into your computer to check email. Instant responses are all but demanded at this point, which perhaps is a plus and a minus. But ask anybody who's in a long-distance relationship, technology can't make up for everything. And the lack of regular physical proximity still seems to make long-distance relationships rather emotionally tough at times. And yet, a lot of us are trying them. One study showed that almost a quarter of people have been long distance in some form in a relationship where their relationship is really held up by technology rather than physical proximity. So will your long distance relationship survive? I certainly hope so. And I'm not Madame Zelda, so I can't tell you for sure. But I do know there are some things that make the difference. And there are specific considerations that can improve your chances. And your chances at just the relationship feeling better and feeling more healthy. So here are some things to keep in mind. 
We've got 10 tips here. Number one, prioritize your schedules well. Different work schedules, sleep preferences, school schedules, time zones, they can all wreak havoc. Even some of them on in-person relationships, not the time zone so much. But even well-intentioned couples, the scheduling part can be really hard in and of itself. So if you're trying to think about communication patterns, think about being mindful in how you choose them and what you're prioritizing. Because often, honestly, it's just inertia. They settle into a pattern because that's just what the habit has brought. Oh, I call you on my way home from work. Or, oh, we FaceTime right before bed. But I really don't want to stay up as late as the other person. So now I'm always exhausted and a little put upon. Think about when you are at your best. And when you can devote private and unrushed time to conversation. Think about how you feel about spontaneous texts or who has a more flexible schedule. I've helped clients before find the words to actually be able to communicate with friends and partners that, hey, I just can't do the beck and call type of texting that you want me to do because my work schedule just doesn't feel good when I'm constantly trying to respond in the middle of the day. Think about what feels like your most intimate part of the day or the time that you crave connection the most. Think about what feels best in terms of who initiates the contact. Think about whether you two prefer set times no matter what, or should it vary by the day? There are no right answers here, as long as it's mindfully chosen by you both. So when you choose a rhythm, make sure you're choosing the rhythm, rather than just falling into something that doesn't feel right, and then resentment or frustration or even just fatigue and exhaustion can start to set in. Number two, make sure your goals and your potential end games are in the same ballpark. Now, I'm not saying that you have to have some relationship roadmap all spelled out where you're exactly on the same page and then in June of 2027, we're going to do this. But the research does show that long-distance relationships on the whole tend to be less stressful and more satisfying when they're understood to be a temporary condition. And this makes intuitive sense because it's easier to keep the eye on the prize and to work together through the hardship of being apart, rather than feeling uncertain about if it'll ever end or feeling hopeless that it will never end. But what happens when one person is more okay with the status quo than the other, or one person is motivated to find a way to physically be together and the other person's not? If one partner views the separation as a temporary hurdle that will end in a major commitment, Like, well, if we just get through this year, then we're going to move to the same city and get engaged and get married, for instance. And meanwhile, the other partner's like, eh, this kind of works for me. There's bound to be friction with that. So talk about this stuff. Talk about expectations. Get to know the vibe of what your partner's really thinking. Number three, try not to rely solely on technology. I know, easier said than done. And we can thank our lucky stars for FaceTime and video conferencing and texting and all those technological advances that have made it so much easier to maintain that emotional intimacy and real-time contact. I get it. But let's not forget the old school power of having something physical that reminds you of your partner, keeping a piece of clothing around that still smells like your partner, having a special token that serves as a symbol of your commitment, having little surprise gifts that arrive in the mail, 
or displaying photos prominently that are actually real photos, not just scrolling through your phone. Those can serve as very visceral reminders of your relationship. Again, don't underestimate the pleasure of receiving something tangible. Even if it's just a funny postcard or an unexpected silly online purchase delivered to you. Care packages are not just for homesick college students. They can bring that same sense of connection and sense of home to a long distance relationship as well. Number four, think about the quality of your communication. And this isn't just talking about technology. There's some interesting research that some long-distance couples might actually be more satisfied with their communication than geographically close couples are. And maybe this is because long-distance couples might realize just how precious their opportunities for communication are. And maybe they just don't have to waste it on the day-to-day logistics of, I want Chinese food, we just did Mexican last week, or why didn't you take the trash out? So use this to your advantage. If you're in a long-distance relationship, you lack the ability to have constant communication compared to couples who live together, especially couples who might work from home together. But just because you don't have the consistency in terms of quantity, that doesn't mean you can't get the quality. If you have daily bedtime conversations, for instance, give a little thought beforehand to the most important parts of your day to you to talk about or to share. Realize that since you might not have the benefit of facial expression, or at least facial expression that's not pixelated, or physical touch, you'll sometimes need to be more deliberate in the words you use. Understand the deficits of technology and plan accordingly to make sure you're saying things that feel authentic to you and not just going through the motions. That can help you make sure that the interactions that you're having are truly intimacy building no matter how much physical distance separates you. Number five, let the boring stuff connect you. I know this seems to contradict what I just said, so hear me out for a moment. When you focus on quality communication, that does not need to mean that you're only talking about these big, grandiose, meaningful ideas. Oh, here's what I thought of Nietzsche today. No, it can be about the smaller details too. Because it's easy to grow apart if you have no clue what the daily rhythm is of your partner's life. That daily foundation. This is true in friendship as well. Sometimes when we start to not even have a picture of what somebody's daily life is like, it's hard to actually relate to them. Who do they talk to on their lunch hour if they work on site? What TV shows are they into? What kind of things have they been into for dinner lately? Who's driving them crazy in their apartment building? Don't make the mistake of thinking that the boring details of your day should be a mystery to your partner or that they're not worth time or that they're not potentially quality conversation. Of course, we're not saying just read a list of minutia. We're saying that the stuff that actually makes up your day is not minutia. You want to have a feel for the cast of characters in each other's lives and the context of daily living. This helps keep you close. Number six. Don't overplan your time in person. One significant way that long-distance relationships feel markedly different than geographically close ones is that when you're actually together in person, it often feels like there's no time to waste. But this can be a double-edged sword. Yes, it might mean that you're less likely to bicker about who changed or did not change the toilet paper roll, 
but it also might make you succumb to the urge to pack your time together so full that it stresses out you both. I've worked with many people in long-distance relationships who report that they feel a ton of pressure to make every in-person moment count. If they only see their partner every two months, for instance, then they feel like they need to treat it like a special vacation each and every time. But this is where we go back to the small stuff. That's what can help build relationship intimacy, the small moments, the spontaneous stuff, the sitting together in companionable silence, the movie watching on the couch, as well as the playing tourists to the sights of that exciting town that you live in or finding the hottest restaurants. The downtime can be really, really impactful. So make sure to build in some breathing room for the times that you spend together. Downtime is not wasted time, but rather the opposite. It helps each of you breathe. It makes you more relaxed. It takes away the demands that we're supposed to be checking every box or if every single moment of this isn't bliss, then maybe we're not meant to be together in the first place. Number seven, don't put your life on hold. There's no doubt about it. Long-distance relationships require some sacrifice, but it's very important not to over-sacrifice because that can breed resentment and regret over time. This is especially risky when the long-distance part of the relationship is supposed to last only a brief period, but then starts to meander a little bit longer, little by little. Maybe it's military deployment or employment challenges or unexpected financial setbacks or a dissertation that's taking longer than was expected. In these cases, one partner may have delayed or even avoided spending time cultivating friendships or interests or hobbies or even being part of a community in their location because they didn't think it was worth it for just a temporary type of scenario especially if their attention was focused on their partner several states or even countries away. But now they're a couple of years in, wishing that they had at least been truly living more in the moments that they actually already had, rather than always fast-forwarding to when they and their partner would be together. It's one thing to look forward to being in the same place as your partner, It's quite another to postpone being truly engaged in your own life until then. Make sure that you're trying your best to make the most of the life that you have in your own locale, in the here and now. Try not to isolate yourself or spin your wheels too much at work or procrastinate on doing things to make your own apartment comfortable, for instance. Don't say it's not worth the bother of seeking out a sense of community or a sense of purpose in the here and now. If you can, try to live each day for what it is, whether your partner is absent or not. As an added bonus, if you actually submerge yourself in real life that you're living independently, the time apart might actually go faster. Number eight, use some reframes to make it more positive. We've talked about some potential real positives that accompany some long-distance relationships, And it may really be worth it to actually bring a sense of celebration to your situation, to really embrace the benefits. If you can remind yourself of some of the assets of being apart, the fact that you might appreciate each other more, or that you don't have to figure out right now exactly which way to load the dishwasher that works for both of you, 
then you might be able to feel more positive about it. Cognitive restructuring or reframing the way that you look at things can be helpful for all kinds of difficult life situations as it helps bring hope and it can give us a sense of control. Long distance relationships are no different. So when you try to actually embrace some of the benefits, it can make aspects of it feel pretty special. It has that certain romantic quality to it. Maybe you're thinking about World War II lovers separated in 1943 for Christmas. Or maybe you're just thinking about the fact that you're less likely to have to buy diarrhea medication for each other. Either way, try to reframe and think about some of the assets of the situation. Number nine, know the difference between checking in and checking up on. This brings us to a major sticking point in many long-distance relationships. The fact that you don't really know what your partner's up to day in and day out. Do you secretly or not so secretly worry that you are out of sight, out of mind? Or do you believe quite fully that absence makes the heart grow fonder? You can give yourself a break and acknowledge that long-distance relationships may bring slightly higher worries about infidelity than geographically close ones do, and those worries might feel totally normal. But on the other hand, the freedom and independence and trust that can be inherently built in when you're not able to watch their every move could be a good thing too. So be careful to be honest with yourself about your insecurities and to not let them turn into hovering. When you want to connect, connect. When you want to hear your partner's voice, contact them. When you want to text a question, text a question, but don't play detective. Your partner will pick up on the intrusive nature of your inquiries. And at best, they might feel annoyed or not trusted. And at worst, they might feel controlled. You've chosen the leap of faith required to be in a long-distance relationship, and it's true that you simply can't know for sure what your partner's doing all day. Even people in geographically close relationships, there should be a name for that, like geographically typical relationships. There's never a way to 100% police your partner without policing your partner, which is inherently a problem. And the more you can relax into the trust, the better off you will be. If you do have serious concerns or suspicions that you just can't seem to have a handle on, whether because of your own anxieties or because maybe where there's smoke, there's fire, you have to have a real conversation about that. Again, don't start playing detective without being honest about what's bothering you. And that segues into number 10. Let yourself trust and earn that trust yourself. One of the most important factors in making a relationship work, whether long distance or so close that you notice when your partner's pores change on their face, it's trust. The work to build and keep trust goes both ways. Unless you think this is only about the potential for sexual infidelity, Remember that there are many ways that breakdowns in trust can erode a relationship, even outside of a romantic affair. Can you count on your partner? Are they there for the phone call when they said they'd be? Or are you frequently shelved when something more pressing comes up? Do they stick to the plans you've made to fly out to see each other? Or do they routinely push back the date because work got busy? 
Do they remember what's important to you and listen in ways that make you feel heard and understood? Or does each new conversation feel separate, like they weren't paying attention or like their mind is somewhere else altogether? All of these questions should be asked of you yourself as well, of course. Are you being the partner that you're worthy of having? Hopefully so. But if not, there can be work done. The important part is asking the questions. So I hope some of these ideas were applicable, no matter what type of relationship you're in. The truth is figuring out how to prioritize each other, how to trust each other, how to be there for each other. It goes across any kind of important relationships, from friendships to family to romantic partners. You know I'm all about relationships, and in fact wrote the book with the hot pink cover to prove it. And with any comments on this stuff whatsoever, reach out to me on Instagram at baggagecheckpodcast. I promise I'm getting better in terms of my responsiveness, whether it's from a long distance or not. Thanks for joining me today. Once again, I'm Dr. Andrea Bonnier, and this has been Baggage Check with new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. Join us on Instagram at Baggage Check Podcast. Give us your take and opinions on topics and guests. And you know you've got that friend who listens to like 17 podcasts. We'd love it if you told them where to find us. Our original music is by Jordan Cooper, cover art by Daniel Merity, and my studio security, it's Buster the Dog. Until next time, take good care.